Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. This week's guest is Sam Morell. Sam is on a short list of, of most requested guests. I imagine it's because this is literally a podcast about jokes and Sam, deep down in his soul, is a true joke writer. But writing, as Sam and I discussed, doesn't just mean putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboards, but putting the thing on its feet and taking it on the road. The goal is to be bulletproof, meaning getting jokes to the point they can work anywhere for anyone. The goal is undeniability. Ironically, in the months before the pandemic, Sam was literally denied uh, by all major networks and streamers when he pitched them his special. This included Comedy Central, who aired his first hour, which was produced by Amy Schumer. Eventually, I got this landed on YouTube, garnering an incredible 11 plus million views since 2020. Sam then went on to film and release another special in 2020. Entitled Up on the Roof, it was shot entirely on the roofs of whoever he can find that would let him perform. Uh, Right now, it's closing in on 2 million views. With that success, now two plus years later, the streamers took notice with his newest special, Same Time Tomorrow, ending up on Netflix. The joke we'll be starting with is one of the many, many jokes from Same Time Tomorrow. So here is Sam Morell. I saw an article the other day that said the movie Snow White is now problematic. And I was like, all right, look, if a movie is 75 plus years old, let's just assume there's a few problems <laughs> and go about our day. We don't need a think piece every time. And of course, I read the article and I said, look, the, the movie is problematic because uh, he kisses her and she's sleeping. There's no consent. And I was like, all right, but it was a quick kiss and it saved her life. It's not, it's not like he's making out with her while jacking off and the, the dwarves are filming. It was pretty tastefully done. I don't, I don't think that movie has ever inspired a sexual assault. I don't think there's a dude in prison right now like Disney lied. <laughs> if you pass out and you get kissed by a prince, it's not, it's not exactly the worst case scenario, you know? I'm not saying it's okay, but that's... <laughs> if you're unconscious, that is most likely not who's going to kiss you. <laughs> Maybe Prince Andrew, but normally... You know, it's... Right, all right. I'm here with Sam Morell. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, dude. Um, so before we get into the joke writing phase, I want to know what finding material looks like f- for you. Like before there's a joke, what is the feeling you feel when you're like, there might be a joke here? You kind of stop and you're like, huh. Like you have a moment. I'm not like, I'm not that guy who's like zinging people. In, <laughs> in you know, there's comics. I have friends who would just be zinging people. And then I'm like, oh, dude, that's a bit. I'm not that guy usually. I'm usually the guy who's just in his head alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on the road a lot alone. So it's like, 
that's that's where it hits me. I'm kind of like, huh? And then I text a friend of mine who's not a comic because he's like my goat. This guy Chase, who's uh, he's like a big part of my act now. I have a new hour, and yeah. he's like not a new hour. It's very <laughs> mediocre, but uh, I have a new act, yeah. and he's a big part of it. And uh, he's a guy I text. I'm like, is this funny? Yeah. Well, let's start with like an observation and then an angle. Like, so let's like like with the Snow White stuff. Would you be like, you saw the headline and then yeah. it cooks? Like, what does it look like? That took a minute, actually. You know what happened? Uh, I was at the cellar running that joke on New Joke Night, and it kind of had nothing yet. It was mm. just the observation. I think the joke starts with like, you know, they want they're mad about. I have so many jokes shitting on conservatives, and I'm like, well, I got to shit on liberals too. You got to yeah. shit on everybody, you know? So. I like I tried to do a balance in this special, uh, and I and I always try to make fun of both sides. But what is that impulse? Because it's not fair to just pick on one side. It's like that's part of the problem. Is like yeah. you know I definitely I'm a New York liberal. My parents are very liberal, but uh, I'm very frustrated with liberals. So uh, you know. I can't resist but to shit on them. And in comedy, liberals are more annoying. Yeah, it's yeah. just how it is. It used to be conservatives. In the Lenny Bruce days, it was the Catholic Church. And now it's uh, the people who are most annoyed with my jokes are uh, usually liberals, weirdly, even though I'm like, kind of like, I'm on your side. That's yeah. the best part to me. But uh, that this one is kind of shitting on i guess people who are annoyed i hate when films or any and the new one is mccabe and miss miller they're oh, editing out uh cigarettes and the posters and i'm like what do you this is art this is a fucking movie it's a robert altman film mm -hmm. isn't i think it's robert altman i could be I, that could be wrong but uh but like this is it's a classic movie and you're editing it and that pissed me off any type of editing because we say like can a lot of people say cancel culture isn't real and it's overblown and it's annoying to hear comedians talk yeah. about it, especially a fucking white guy, like <laughs> enough. But there is some truth to it, obviously. And in this sense, my instinct is to make fun of people who care too much about mm -hmm. it because it's like, is it taking that much real estate? You yeah. know, like that's what the trans joke was. The people who were like mad about Leah Thomas. I'm like, you didn't care about trans swimming yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Shut up. I was talking to a guy about a trans person we both know, and he goes, I fully support it. I mean, I'll play along. I was like, I don't think that's what they're going for. <laughs> he was mad about the trans swimmer, Leah Thomas, who kept winning races. He said, this is messed up, man. There needs to be an asterisk next to those wins. And I said, I call bullshit. He goes, exactly. I said, no, that you care about women swimming. <laughs> I've known you for quite some time. I've never heard you mention it. This outrage rings insincere. And he said, what if I have a daughter? And I said, you won't. <laughs> he said, what if I raise a girl who turns out to be an Olympic swimming champion? I said, if you can find someone dumb enough to let you come inside her, I can pretty much guarantee that kid is not gonna grow up to be a winner, okay? <laughs> he was pissed off. He said, it could happen. I never wear condoms. I said, you never wear condoms and you don't have a kid? It's too bad your sperm isn't a trans woman who would know how to swim. It, I, true story, I was talking to a guy about the Leah Thomas thing, and he was pissed. And he and I said, how, how do you feel about the Brittany Griner thing? And he was like, who? And I was like, shut up. Just don't talk about, you don't care about women, all right? So- Definitely about women's sports. Exactly. So uh, I think with editing movies in any sense, editing books in any sense, it, it does feel like you're messing with something. Mm. And maybe, you know, when they were editing Huckleberry Finn, it's like, maybe that book wasn't meant to live forever then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? If you can't handle it. Like, it's not, I'm not saying I'm, I, I agree with that word, but like, it was written with that word. Yeah.
Yeah, so it's like you have this feeling about this type of thing, and then you see the Snow White news. Now, I have no sense of this. But then you have to detach. Yeah, Because yeah. when you care about it, it's not funny. Yeah, yeah. You have to... Now you're like, why do you now care so much about this? Exactly. The whole joke is about how you're making fun of how much they care, and now you care how much they care, and you seem even sillier. Exactly. D- disconnecting is part of it. Like, when, when you're too connected to the premise, that's when you I think you start to pander a little bit. Mm. And uh, that's... That's, I mean, it's like when someone you know dies and you can't make a joke, and the minute you make a joke, you're like, "Oh, I'm healing," because that's the disconnection a yeah. little bit. So I think with that one, yeah, it started with people were mad that he kissed her while she was sleeping. I was like, "But you know, context matters," and he was kissing her while she's sleeping. But they were, you know, it's not. I think the line was, "It's not like he's making out with her while jacking off." It was like a quick kiss. It brings her back to life. It saves. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, well, "Let's break up." It's not like. By today's Me Too standards, it's not a Me Too, is it? I mean, so uh, maybe it is. I don't know, but (laughs) but that so that was one thing, and also it's like I don't. I was thinking about it. Like no one is ever raped because of that movie. Mm. I don't think. I mean, maybe. Well, that I mean the the argument there would be like it it is a culture of taking advantage of people while they're sleeping, and it's like indoctrinating when they're young. Kids see this movie and they're like, I guess that's okay. I mean, like, I do think it's an extreme example, which is probably what you're tapping in on, right? It's not like, I, I think you probably can acknowledge that, like, maybe that's the case, but I do think this example is like such a far leap. It's a leap. I think sometimes it's cooler to show how far we've come rather than mm. changing things completely. And also, I just guess I hate remakes. As a comic, as someone, I hate the lack of originality. Everything's made on existing IP. And as someone who's always trying to, you know, who's hadn't tried to make a couple shows, you know, I tried to make an animated show a while back with with Dana Gould, who I love, and uh, making a car- a cartoon superhero show with all the existing superhero IP is impossible. Even though our show is, I think, very different than everything out there, impossible. So they're like, "Oh, we can't. We have a deal with Marvel. We can't. We have a deal with DC. We can't. We're making the boys animated." I was just like, "Okay, so." That kind of bugs me. Yeah. Make a new thing. Like, that's what's cool about Pixar. They made new shit. Until they, I guess, stop. Until they stop. But there was a minute. Yeah. So writing this, the angle is first, right? You think about it and you get a sort of angle to it. And then what does writing look like, right? I think think probably some people assume like, oh, he's such a a joke writer. It must be like every word. But it's like, it seems like you go up with... Much less than I think people would assume. Yeah, I didn't go up with much, and uh, I almost threw the joke out, thinking mm. it was just kind of like a fun little topical. I have a lot of topical jokes that just don't make the act, and uh, and a comic guy, you know, who's I think a really good comic, came up to me and said, "That's a great observation," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's all it takes sometimes." Is a is a friend of yours or someone you know saying that, and uh, I was like, "All right," and I stuck with it, and then I got to. I knew something was missing. Sometimes you're like, man, if I could just have one line, bring it all mm. together. And that was the Prince Andrew line. Got which, it. Oh, which, wow. Which kind of brought it all home is uh, saying, hey, that's not cool that a person kisses you while you're sleeping, but it's not the worst case scenario. And I said, getting kissed by a prince, you know? And then I kind of pause. I'm like, that's not who's going to kiss you. And then you pause and you go, well, maybe Prince Andrew. And that was like, oh, that's perfect. Because it was just enough of a bait and switch. Where yeah. like, they're not going to see... That's not what he's accused of, but he's a creep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was enough of a of like, oh, you don't see this coming. Yeah. How much are you thinking like, you know, when you're delving into issues that are 
people are wrestling with, obviously, it is you don't want to one tape it one way and there one way or another, right? It's like I think you're especially with the thing like this. It's like your goal is that you don't want people to get sense of like he is a side, and the goal of this joke is a specific side. Are you thinking about like? How can I walk a sort of line of this so that at some point there is a surprise? Like, are you, are you looking for a big enough twist? It's like, that is how you think, oh, a joke is complete? That's a good question. I, yeah, I don't think that's it needs a twist necessarily, but you kind of want to beat the audience to mm-hmm. whatever they're thinking it, where it might go. And uh, or at least with like analogy bits, this isn't an analogy bit. So I think this is like almost more like a magician type stand-up bit where you're like, aha. And I don't normally like those, but I like it in this case because I think it just worked. And also it's like, it's fun to throw in, I mean, no one's offended by a Prince Andrew turn. No one's like, you don't, don't you dare make fun of the prince. Uh, The prince. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's he's not a likable person. It's, It's fun to shit on people who've done horrible things and have pretty much gotten away with it. Mm. You know, it's like where you're like, well, he's an easy guy to shit on. Cosby's another one. You know, I guess he did some time in prison, but certain people you can, you're like, this is a safe punchline. You want the joke, as you said, when you're not leaning too far one way or the other. Like, I tour every city. Yeah. And I love touring every city, but you need to make sure that every joke kind of holds its own. Yeah. I want to ask you about that because you'll use the term bulletproof as many comedians do. And I want to know. What that means, you know, to you practically, are you when you go into rooms, are you thinking about it deliberately? It's like, okay, I have this joke. I know it works here. I should do it blank, blank, blank. They'll do it this way. Like, how intentional are you about trying jokes in specific rooms to see where it is? I mean, it's it's everything. I won't put a special out if I don't tour. You know, Uh, I'll watch comedians and I'm like, oh, you don't leave L.A. Like, I'll see their act. I'm like that. That joke killed in L.A. Uh, and if that's your mission, that's that's fine, you know? Everyone is their type of comedian. I like the comics who could entertain all uh, audiences. I, yeah. I don't view myself as, like, an artist. I'm, I'm an entertainer. I love being escapist. I always admire that about Conan, is, mm. you know, when all the other late-night hosts were just doing these kind of one-sided political takes, Conan, you knew who he was, you knew where he stood, but they were just hard jokes, and I think that's, Kind of cool. Like, I heard Jimmy Carr once say, like, comedians leak. Mm. So you know who they are. But you don't have to remind them every day. Like, I think those are the comics. I get a little bit like, all right, dude, we knew we know who you are. Mm. And it's a very hard line to walk when you're doing social commentary. Like, I do catch myself doing jokes. I'm like, okay, well, this is how I am. But how do I make it? F-? Like, I was doing anti-gun jokes in Kentucky. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have to address it. I'm like, you have to be like, first off, I know where I am. <laughs> you have to kind of be like, I'm aware of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can get them to laugh at that and I, and I will make fun of, I, I call myself, I'm like, sometimes I'm oh, making fun of conservatives too much. Let me make fun of liberals too. Cause, cause they make mistakes too. And you have to, uh, you don't want to sound ever like your virtue signaling yeah. up there. It's a, it's a dangerous trap as a comic. The more and more successful you get, the more and more it's your audience, the more and more your circle kind of closes to yes men. Mm. You have to be very conscious of staying funny. <laughs> I wanted to stay here another second because I think it's a, this is not a rebuttal. This is just so to get people have a sense of like, what is the argument for not being bulletproof? I would say it's essentially like a comedian would be like, well, you're you're giving the audience less of your personal perspective. You're compromising the sort of this is who I am. If you're like if you're like, oh, I need to test it for all audiences and figure out how it works. You're losing less of who you are and more about who the audience is. And it becomes more about 
the joke is a service, a joke is mm. a tool or something you're giving the audience. And it's like, that's my job versus I'm expressing myself. Yeah. I and, mean, and that and that's not to say you're wrong. I think is that is like, do you feel like ultimately you're more- I think the argument against what you're saying though is overindulgence. Sure. Right? So I think it's a, it's a fair point what you're making. I, I just think I've seen those comedians who are like, well, I'm not going to take any of the audience. Hey, in the end, I, it's my special. I'm yeah. cutting. If I have a joke, I've cut jokes where I'm like, that's too preachy. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, uh, that'll kill, but I don't want it in there. You know what I mean? There's certain jokes you just have to cut. So I, I go the other way too. I'm like, this will work, but I don't like it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's your judgment call. It's a rare form of entertainment where it's collaborative. Like yeah. Martin Scorsese, like maybe he does like some sort of focus test. I doubt it. You know, we're kind of focus testing our next special the entire time. Yeah, and you and you ultimately want to honor that. You that like ultimately- I'm not going to put out jokes that I'm I'm going to keep in just because they kill. Mm. If I disagree with the joke, if I don't, I'm like that's not really me. So I, so to answer, I think your rebuttal. I think yeah. yeah, I think you do have to trust yourself to make that judgment call. Yeah, um, you've talked about especially early on when you were doing The Road, you got a sort of like road hack quality to you because you're playing maybe lesser rooms. Yeah. And can you talk about how you sort of avoided that? Have you gotten better at that to make sure that you can, you, you know, being seemingly being a road comic is very important to you. How do you be a road comic that does not, one, what are the uh, pitfalls that one could fall in and how you figured out how to avoid them? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's also when you're playing lesser rooms that aren't as comedy sophisticated or, or you know, that maybe the clubs haven't built a good culture, they're not bringing in good acts. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a pitfall you can fall into uh, is just giving them too much of what they want. So I think what I'm talking about is walking that line a little bit. When you're just giving them what you want, you're just trying to survive up there. I mean, you're yeah. getting heckled the whole show. You're like, how do I survive? So I don't even begrudge myself for falling into that shit. It was kind of unavoidable. If you're doing it that much and you don't have fans, yeah, it's going to happen. So I'm grateful that it's my people coming out now. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to walk that line and still perform in your home cities. Like, you know, you still, I still want to be a New York comic. So I still will go up in New York. And even when I'm really tired, I try to still do the sets. But man, some of, the, some of these weeks, you're on the road every week. And then you land and you're like, oh, am I going to do the cellar tonight for real? But I, I try to usually. Bombing. How do you feel about it? I feel like I feel like I heard you in an interview. Someone's like, you must not bomb anymore. He's like, no, I bomb all the time. I feel like if you're doing what you're doing, if you don't bomb, then you're yeah. not actually doing it. A hundred percent. Weirdly, the comics who kill all the time have these huge egos. <laughs> but I'm like, but you're not writing. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you should hate yourself. I'm the one who hates myself and I'm writing. So yeah, it's just part of the game. If you're going to keep trying to turn over material, mm. you're going to fail constantly and it's going to make you very humble. So uh, I get why certain comics are doing that while they're playing the hits. Like maybe, you know, they're trying to just float and stay alive and it's a very competitive and tough business and, and you're getting those road gigs and you're getting them maybe because you don't have a fan base, but because you're reliable. Mm. And then it's very hard to grow out of that. Yeah. If you're not getting that gig because of you, but because you won't bomb, then like you can't bomb. Exactly. And that becomes your identity. It's like he always kills. You're like, that's not a good. No, I think it's, and especially if you're dealing with things that are like sensitive, if you're not bombing, then you're not like being edgy or dark. You're literally just like doing exactly what people want from this thing. You figured it out. It's a different type of pandering. It's a crowd pleaser, right? So that's a tough one. Uh, 
but yeah, you're going to bomb. I mean, it's part of the process and it's fun. You know, my friend is now in the mode where he's closing in a special and he said to me, like, I'm so jealous of you. I'm just kind of like honing for the next few months and you're creating mm -hmm. and, and it's so much more fun to write than to edit. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, it really is. But but then I said, but you get to kill. And he said, that's true. But, you know, but he's a real comic, so he wants to write. You know, I've interviewed a million comedians, and I have not thought about, like, ultimately, there are comedians who like to kill, and there's comedians who like to write. And and they're both similar. They're the comedians who, like, I am hard. It's hard for me to do stand-up unless I'm working on a new joke. And then there's the comedians who are like, I like to do it because killing is fun. Well, that's a problem, too, though. The guy who, like, overwrites and underedits, yeah. that's, a, that's a pitfall, too, where you're just kind of like... Well, that guy has a million amazing ideas and no good jokes. <laughs> you know, the great premise comic? That's a tough one. Because those guys are great in writer's rooms. Yeah. Because they're just, just flowing of ideas. But like on the road, that's, you got to, it's very tough. I've, I've word docs of ideas where I'm like, this has been so close for like mm -hmm. three years. I can't crack it. You know? So, so you, so how does it work? So you, ha I assume you have a notepad. You write down something, and then yeah. does it go into a Word doc? And then you're just like, okay, time to write. Let me look through my Word doc of like what I've not written yet. Yeah, that, I mean, a lot of people just think writing is sitting in the coffee shop coming up with ideas, <laughs> but for me, it's it's not that. It's going through unfinished premises, and then maybe something will come to you. Uh, listening to sets, although I hate doing it, I really I fast forward to the new shit, mm. but. I mean, I'm in the stage right now where it's pretty much all new stuff, so it's pretty painful to listen to sets. I really, I really hate it. Uh, but it's like you should hate it. It's like the equivalent of the gym, I guess. Yeah. You know, for comedy. And uh, yeah, I'll do the word doc. I'll do emails to myself. I'm, I, I just like a lot of different places. And I also feel weirdly like if I'm looking at it in different scenarios, that's good for the brain. I don't. There's no proof of that, but like, you know, if I'm scrolling through my phone, if I'm looking at a pad, if I'm on my computer, just different. It's almost like you're like trying to keep on sparking the moment of having that observation again and seeing if your brain goes and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're just trying to finish a thought. And it's uh, it's exciting to when because when you do, I remember the first one I had, like I was on the subway and it just came to me and you're like, oh my God, like that's a joke. It was a bit about a guy... Uh, <laughs> It's just, it's not going to sound that great, but to me at the time, yeah. it like blew my mind. I was like, I cracked it because it was a joke that was hidden all the way through and I didn't have an ending. And those are so, it's mm -hmm. like this Snow White joke. Yeah. They're frustrating because you know it's like this close from being like an okay joke to a good joke. And uh, it was a joke about a guy jacking off on the subway to a girl I was dating and he was jacking off to her. And uh, she kept saying, you're just going to let him do that? And I was like, I don't know. What the hell do I do? And uh, and the turn, I cracked it where it's like, you know, I. she goes, you're just going to let him do that? And I was like, you know, the turn is I was like, you got to stop doing that. And <laughs> and then she, uh, he goes, I was doing it to you. And I just sit back down and I turn her. I was like, you're just going to let him do that? <laughs> that was the turn. I was like, oh, it's like, I just flipped it. Mm -hmm. That's all it was. Yeah. So sometimes it just hits you and you're like, that's the joke. And yeah. it was in front of you the whole time. And yeah, I'm bad at cracking it sometimes because you just i think sometimes you overthink it but the truth is un try underthinking it yeah, try yeah. to try to go every way you can yeah so i want to go into the this joke a little bit deeper and i think even the first line of the joke which is like snow white is problematic and then and then you go and i was all and i was like all right and then it's like and the punchline is so let's just assume there's a few problems and ultimately you're just like playing on the word problematic and it's like a yeah. little like almost like a wordplay joke yeah 
problematic. That word cracks me up because it's just such a academic, silly word, and it's not like a real world word. It's like bloggers will do that a lot, where they'll they'll just say stuff like problematic or this person will he get a path to redemption i was like i just want you to know no one in the middle of the country speaks like this this is uh this is like a very coastal elite way of Mm. speaking so it makes me crack up a little bit out of the gate problematic i was like it's a movie and it's like here's the idea show your kid a different movie like it's also just the word problematic it's it's just like it's it has problems. It's such a fudge, it's such an over. It's such yeah. a. It's a very large word for ultimately saying. It's like if the headline was Snow White has some problems, you're like yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it. It sounds a little arrogant. The the other thing about this that I think is interesting is, and I alluded to, but essentially you have the the setup, which is like they said Snow White's problematic, and then you have the punchline, but then you have the first laugh line, which is just you going, and I was like, all right, and already the audience goes. What is the laugh of, and I was like, all right. Because I think they know who I am. So I think they they know yeah. that I, I think they know I have a problem, but they don't know how I'm going to say it. So I think it's like you're setting yourself up for bigger laughs in the next line by getting that little laugh out of the gate. You're mm-hmm. kind of getting the momentum in your favor. Is that something you'll think about deliberate that just comes up? Yeah. Does you I, do it enough that you're like, oh, there needs to be a pause here before I go right to it? I think you think about how to, it's almost like a, a, a hezzy move in basketball. You're like, how can I get my my jump shot wide open and get the cleanest shot? And you're like, if I can work on my handles here. <laughs> so it's like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you think of ways to make it, this is me, you know who I am, and you think of ways to get, you know who's great at this? Gary Goldman is great at getting laughs out of, places you would never think to get laughs. Mm-hmm. And I, I always admired that about him. I remember he had a <laughs> in a joke where he just said karate. <laughs> and that shouldn't be that funny, but it is. Because it's very him. It's very honest to his voice. And he, and I think he would just say, I don't know why you guys are laughing. That's the proper pronunciation. Like, just even saying that is so him that I think you learn to get laughs in between the jokes. Mm-hmm. And the more you write, you need those. Because holy shit, like, storytellers, guys like... You know, uh, like Tom Segura or like, you know, Bird or Jim Jeffries, people who like write these long stories, they have to find those little laughs. But joke writers need that too, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And um, you, I think you learn how to bring yourself to a joke so it's not just a, a joke, like joke book joke. Yeah, yeah I think that is, I, I always say that people assume that like one-liner comedians, which you're not, but like joke writing comedians have less of a persona on stage than the people who do longer bits. And it's like, no, Hedberg. Like, yeah. It's like, they actually have to have more and it yeah. has to be so clear that like, you can't tell Mitch Hedberg joke without doing his cadence and his voice. And it's the same thing here, which is like, uh, Sam, Oh, he's going to say something like it's that thing of, especially it, it, it's like, it's a persona joke, right? It's not like, that's not funny. Just being like, and I was like, all right, that's being like, but it is like that, that ramping up feeling, I think they're laughing at. They're like, we're on board, ultimately, is what they're saying. Exactly. I think that, I think most people, I mean, that's the funny thing, is I think most people <laughs> would say, I think if you're like, are you for cancel culture? I think most people just say no. Yeah. I think most people say, I'm against it. So I think it's an easy, like, it's an easy way to get people on board, because I think already they're kind of against it, and then I'm bringing up a pretty absurd example of this. So I think that's the point of the joke, is to get them on board with a thing that most people would be annoyed with yeah you know yeah i think it and and it really is 
the disconnect is already aware. They're like, he's talking about Snow White. This what whatever is about Snow White with this guy, it's gonna and but without being hacky about it, right? You can see a comedian, a worse comedian, years in where the the audience is so on board, milking the and I was like, all oh, right, and then that's it. I've like, had to follow those guys, and it's like they're just kind of playing to the crowd. Like, man, sometimes you follow like a Florida murderer. And they're just like, you know what I fucking hate? Young people. And it like murders and you're just like, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bomb. He is giving them everything they want. So that's the problem when you feed them too hard. And look, I I will watch not too much comedy because you don't want to seep in, but I'll watch enough that you know what really bugged me during the Me Too uh during the Me Too movement, like the start of it, mm. how many comics, male comics, were making really shitty jokes about it. That bugged me. So I opened one of my specials, like seven minutes of Me Too jokes that I thought, I haven't heard any of these angles before. Yeah. Let me do this. It's a good time to be alive. Great time to be a man. Right? The bar is it's nice and low. It's nice. I was with a girl the other night. She said, I don't think we should have sex. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then she goes, wow, you're a great guy. I was like, that's all it takes? I'm pretty sure the alternative is a felony. I don't know if I'm a great guy, but... I'll take it. <laughs> I, had a, I had a good mom growing up, you know? Ever since I was a little kid, my mom would say, no means no. And she was talking about cookies, but I put it together, you know? <laughs> I, uh, I met a girl after a show in Florida. I'm not bragging, but I, I do pretty well in Tampa. And <laughs> she, she said, I'll drive you back to your hotel, but there's no way and I'm coming upstairs. I said, whatever you want to do is fine with me. So we're in the parking lot, we're making out. She said, all right, I'll come upstairs, but there is no way that you're getting laid. And I was like, am I being recorded right now? <laughs> this feels like a Me Too sting operation. <laughs> so very loudly into her chest, I said, that's totally cool. <laughs> this is Sam Morrell, March 22nd, 2018. <laughs> Timestamp. No, I like consent. Consent is, consent is the shit. <laughs> consent, that's the best part, the consent. Sometimes I get the consent and then I just, I go home and I jack off instead. <laughs> get a good eight hours of sleep. And my friends asked, did you get laid last night? And I say, no, but I got the consent. So, <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> I just heard so many where they're just like, I guess you can't say nothing. No. And you're just like, dude, Shut the fuck up. Is our party motivated to be like, this is how to be Absolutely. a good comedian? Well, yeah, every comic has like a hint of contrarian in them, of yeah. course. But yeah, I, I resent, I think people wrote me in as like a shock comic early on and I really resented that because I, I, I put a lot of thought into my jokes. I, I've, I've sacrificed a lot of happiness <laughs> and relationships because I'm never home and I'm, uh, I put a lot of work in. So like, you know, say I have some growing to do as a human, but don't you dare critique my comedy. No, I got pretty annoyed with uh, people like looped me in with shock comics. Yeah. And I said, you know, um, no, that's not who I am. I, I love jokes. So I, I mean, it's, jokes are my favorite thing. Um, so yeah, I guess... I get annoyed when comics are thoughtlessly handling subjects that I think are are kind of delicate. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is there's the joke that you, you mentioned, which is about the um the trans swimmer that felt partly like you have and, and even in your last special, there's multiple times where you're like, 
this isn't not that it's, it's in some ways you're saying it is hard, but this is like what the work looks like to try to think of a joke where, where it's clear what you're trying to say, opposed to just like throwing loose opinions around. Like I even think um, there's a punchline to one of the jokes in the outdoor special where you're talking about a person who um, is, says like, I'll it's basically like a person says they'll, they'll be tolerant of trans people, but he says in a sort of flippant way. Yeah. But you're making fun of them. And then how you are making fun of that person, but like, is what Chappelle eventually said as his own punchline from his own perspective? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything's a touchy issue now, isn't it? Like, they're doing a, a trans superhero in a Marvel movie. That's a big story. Yeah, they're doing a trans. And you know, they're just patting themselves on the back. Like, we did it, guys. <laughs> we did it. You know, they're going to mess it up. They're so politically correct in those movies. <laughs> There's going to be a supervillain like, you mutants are all freaks, except for you. You're brave. But the rest of you, ah. <laughs> my cousin is trans. Yeah. And uh, my mom was concerned for her safety. I was like, look, it's going to be okay. Being trans is a lot like being a, a stand-up comic. Because at first your aunt and uncle were like, I guess you're doing this now. But then in like three years, you're like, all right, I'll, I'll start telling people. So. <laughs> Just put your time in. Pay your dues. My friend was talking about that trans Sports Illustrated model. You know what I'm talking about? He called me. He's like, dude, she's so hot, I can't even tell the difference. And I was like, yeah, I know you mean well, but that is a weird compliment to give a human. Like she's like, I can't believe it's not butter or some shit. But it's like, check out this impossible burger of a vag right here. It was amazing. You know what's funny? I think the left might have liked that joke too much, and the right really hated that joke. And some of the critiques from the right saying I'm pandering, I'm like, or like clearly this is a made up scenario. It's 100% a real conversation I had. Yeah, It's not made up. Uh, I'll name the fucking guy. Uh, no, but I, but he's a friend of mine and I, and, he's, and I love him. And he laughed when I said it to him. It's like there was no, he got it. Yeah, And that's why I love jokes is because you can kind of explain something to someone and you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have. He kind of was like, yeah, I guess you're right. But I think like, wow, you're like, oh, trans people are, where gay people were like 25, 30 years ago. Cause no one would ever accuse me of pandering to gay people with yeah. a joke like that, you know? So that just showed like, oh wow. So they do have, they're in a tough position right now. Yeah. That's what I thought. And there's so many fucking anti-trans jokes. <laughs> I'm like, well, is it like, is it okay to have one pro-trans? I, I, I was shocked. I mean, it was met with way more love obviously, but. Uh, yeah. And we'll be right back with more Sam Morrell. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, 
The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Sam Morell. So back to the joke. There, the next part is, uh, you say we don't need a think piece every time, and then you said, but of course, I read the article, and I think it's interesting. That's not a laugh line, but it's an interesting thing to include, which is like you're you implicate yourself in this joke. I'm part of the problem, man. I take clickbait. I'm human, for sure. How do you balance being a conversational comedian and being a joke writer? It's very interesting. You know, I I used to work the door at Broadway and a lot of bad comics would go on stage. But when a good comic went on stage, I was like, damn, this guy. I remember Nick Griffin uh, would go up and his jokes were so he did this rare thing. I don't know if you know his stuff, but he's uh, he's very autobiographical. He's he's a joke guy. Mm -hmm. And it felt very conversational. I was like, wow, that's very rare to see a comic do that. And that's kind of what I was trying to do. Um, And. Yeah, I think there it's a challenge to do, but uh, I mean, it's, I do a lot of crowd work on the road just out of boredom. I mean, Dangerfield would do the crowd work and, uh, you know, because it was like, ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum So you're like, I found ways to just kind of make it feel mm-hmm. more like a conversation. Yeah. So it wasn't just for them. It was for me, too. I thought it was a better show. And uh, when you start, you're just trying to hit the notes. And at a certain point, you you get to a place where you're like, well, if I mess this up i'll save it and once you get there you're just very comfortable and, yeah uh i think I, what i saw nick do was uh he would say stuff so many good jokes i mean he had so many his late night sets were phenomenal uh his letterman sets and i remember a joke where he said uh no matter how bad you have it there, there's always someone worse off than you that's what my friend said to me so now now i'm depressed and worried about this other poor guy <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh I, jokes like that, they didn't feel like jokes. It yeah. was like, my friend said this to me. It sounds like something you would say at a bar. Mm-hmm. So I loved, I loved the idea that it was like, oh, I could say this to a friend of mine over drinks and he would laugh. Yeah. To go back to the joke, so the it's not like he's making out with her while jacking off and the dwarves are filming. I assume there's like a um, variety of options there. That's a funny image to me. I don't know why that image made me laugh. It's so cartoonish. It's a cartoonish, it's a cartoon, the movie. But the image is so over the top. It's like almost when you are watching porn and you see like, you're like looking at a porn website and you see Family Guy, like naked Lois. And what I'm like, first off, who the hell is jerking off to this? Second off, like it makes you kind of crack up a little that that exists. You see like Marge getting ran by Mo or something and you're like, who's this for? Mm. So I think the idea of like dwarves filming uh, this scenario was really like I was just picturing like you know Sneezy holding a boom mic, and it just made me laugh. That image, cartoonish images. It's funny. Yeah. Do you is any and maybe you did it some nights, but is any part of you like a comedian to be like, well, I can talk about this as a shoot. Like you know, you can go. To, it's a hole. It's a rabbit hole. You can kind of go down. Yeah. It's a path you can go down. Where you set up like, and the dwarves are filming, and then 
And if they are filming it to be like this, and then, you know, it's like almost like a Patton Oswalt thing where you're like, yeah, then the joke is about this fantasy and then you forget what the original, like, and you go down some weird lane. Then you're like, wait, what was I telling you? Go back in. It's like, yeah. are they union? Like how, what's the nature of the relationship? Well, I mean, it's, but like, yeah. could you do that? Do you want to do that? Do you, did you I, try that? I never tried it. I kind of was like, uh, I was trying to just figure out the ending. Yeah. I was like, but yeah, you're right. There probably was more meat on that bone, but I just, I kind of liked where it was. So you get to sort of the most, I would say, like rhetorically pointed part of the joke, which is like there's not a dude in prison being like Disney lied. And I and I wonder when you're thinking about those parts of it that are like definitely the the most like this is a argument I'm either making either rhetorically or because I believe it. Like, are you thinking about how it fits, how the audience needs to be? And I also bring up that when you posted the joke online, this part of the joke is not included. And, and that was for time. Yeah, that's what I assumed. Yeah. I was like, if we're going to cut any part, this is the part that is like makes the least sense out of the context of your act. Probably, yeah. Well, I, look, I get annoyed a little bit. The blame. I think I just got annoyed that it blamed the movie mm. in some sense. Like, look, maybe there's part of that. There's there's truth the other way too, where I do get annoyed. And I was kind of thinking about it, and I was like, and I I, I was thinking like, well, yeah, you know, you play eight hours of video games a day. It's probably not great. You know, I watch two minutes of porn a day. I don't feel good, <laughs> so I understood. So there is a relation to that, and I get why you're saying out of context that makes yeah. the least sense. And I think to me, I was just. That might have been the most emotional part of the bit where yeah. I was kind of like, I'm annoyed you're blaming this because I don't believe that it seeps into a kid's subconscious, this part. The kids I knew who creeped me out growing up, they weren't Snow White. It was, you know what I mean? Yeah. They were creepy outside of that. So I think about like the kids who roofied in college. I was one of them. I got roofied. Uh, to be clear, you got roofied. I got roofied. Yeah, I feel yeah. like you didn't say it clear enough and people are like, wait, <laughs> you're one of them. No. Uh, yeah, no, I, I got roofied at a frat party and it was meant for a woman. Uh, some guy tried to roofie a woman and I took the drink and got roofied. And, uh, you know, so those are the types of yeah. dudes I pictured as predators. Yeah. And, and they weren't kids who were corrupted by a Disney movie. So I guess that expl if that explains that part. Before you get to the the Prince Andrew part, you say, I'm not saying it's okay. And I just bring up those points because I want to know, you know, there's, I like to think of the line as an actual line, the idea of the line. And it's like how a comedian navigates it is like you're playing with the audience of like where, oh, we're, or this is where he is politically, this is where he's not where he's politically, or this is where he is on this side of the issue or that side of the issue. Well, anti-rape isn't really a political <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Maybe like, these days. Casual, whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah. The point is, like, saying yeah. I'm not saying okay is a move to be like... Yeah. Is it a thing you put in intentionally? Of for course. Yeah, yeah. I think without that line, the bit could get broy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it, it, when you don't add certain lines, I'm very ridden with my yeah. stand-up. Like, yeah. I, I will work jokes out not ridden. I will explore on stage. But when it's the final cut, I think of every sentence. I really do. So... uh if the punchline involves Prince Andrew and kind of a sexual assault joke, uh, yeah, I want to lead him by saying, hey, I'm not cool. I mean, I don't think I should have to say that, but when I look at the whole mm -hmm. joke, I thought for whatever reason it fit. Yeah. When I take myself out of it, I'm like, yeah, I think the crowd knows I'm I'm not on board with it. But I, I thought, yeah, I'm making fun of this scenario enough that I kind of want to throw it in. I don't, I don't know if it was 
completely necessary, but I, I thought to put it that way. It is, I mean, it's also like this is going to reach people who don't know who you are, exactly. right? This is the fourth minute of you they might ever be seeing. That's how I feel about jokes now. I think I said it on the Daily Show a couple weeks ago, but it was like uh, that it is a comedy club. Like it's a comedy club where people open the door mid-joke and they're just like, oh, we don't like you. Yeah. You know? And then some people open the door and they're like, oh, I'm going to stick around for a while. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. You're reaching people you don't know. And uh, I, I just thought it... It worked. I thought rhythmically it worked. Aside from like, I just wanted it in there. I thought like that just felt yeah. like the right way to go with that joke. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about you will, and we talked a little bit, but you grapple with jokes being worth it. What does that look like? Like, do you do you like actually sit down and be like, okay, what is the? This is the joke as I imagine it. This is the joke how someone else imagined it. It's like how when you grapple with something, when you're dealing with sensitive issues, how does what does it look like? What are the thought processes in your head? I think, how can I make this work? I mean, how can I be silly with this? How can mm. I how can how can I make them think? How can I give them the best window into who I am? Is really what I'm thinking. I mean, I, I when I'm, I'm I have some new abortion jokes that are pretty good, and uh, you know, I try, sometimes I'll, I try different ways into it. Like the other night, I was like, finally, a white man weighing in on abortion, <laughs> or like then the next night, I was kind of like. Uh, this next abortion goes out to a special someone. Uh, I said, musicians can do it. Why can't I? You know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm being silly with it. And I'm like, what's the fun way to go into an abortion joke? And what's a way that feels honest to like, mm. you know, other comics are doing this. What's a way I can have awareness? Awareness is so underrated. Before the, even the punchline, almost the most interesting part is there's a big pause, right? He's like, that's not the worst person. You're going to kiss you. And then there's a the big pause and you just sort of smirk. Then you turn to the other side of the audience. <laughs> what is it? It's it's talking to the awareness. It does seem like you have a sense of the sort of different types of laughs. You're trying to get a sense of where the audience is. What is what is it like in the moment? What are you looking for? What does that moment play like? How did that even come about in when the, writing the joke? Well, I was kind of like, how do I go into this? I think I get a laugh. Uh, if I, I think I get a laugh even leading into that where I say, if you're unconscious, that's most likely not who's going to kiss you. That line gets a laugh. Yeah. And I think it's a laugh because of the way it's worded. I've tried it other ways and it doesn't get a laugh. But for whatever reason, that way gets a laugh. I don't want to say Prince in the setup because then you're teeing up the punchline. Mm. I don't want to say Prince again. I want to get that out of their head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're unconscious, that's most likely not who's going to kiss you. And then I pause and go, maybe Prince Andrew. And that's that's a good, it's a good misdirect. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a classic joke, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, it's fun to end a longer bit with, like, a classic joke. Yeah. It's so interesting. The pause, it's central. I mean, like, everyone, it's that it allows you to sort of do this sort of, like, offhand of that joke. Because it's, like, it's, it's just such an interesting thing that's hard to describe. But it's, like, really, it's a rhythmic of, like, you do a big, long pause and you sort of smile around. <laughs> and something's going to come. So then you can just be, like, hmm, Prince Andrew. Like, yeah. you kind of throw it away. Because otherwise, it'd be, like, it almost, like, it'd be too big of a joke ending. And then you won't even. It's see not it. my style. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be honest to who I am to be like maybe Prince Andrew. Like that's yeah, not. Exactly. That's so almost like, like how you would do it in the fifties yeah, or something. Yeah. So it's the same joke format from like back in the day. But and I like doing that. I like kind of taking old school joke format, but kind of modernizing it with making it that conversational style. So I take a little bit from the old school and a little bit from you know what modern stand up comedy is. There is a question. You know, when we talked about like, is it worth it? Like when you're talking about 
darker subjects or or sensitive subjects, you know, you could hypothetically be like not you could just not talk about it. But yeah. like what is the reason for you to do it? I think a lot of it is like I just watch the news all the time. I think it's like it's your reality. Mm. So, you know, if like <laughs> if you have a funny like uh it's it's it takes up a lot of space in my head what goes on in the world you know i'll listen to a lot of news podcasts a lot of uh sports podcasts but sports aren't as accessible so yeah. I, you know what i mean so the news stuff will kind of stay with me more i think about it more um it's a great way to uh connect yeah. i think of ways to connect on the road and what are to me the best ways to connect with a road audience relationship jokes yeah. and the news because that's what adults talk about. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you're in an adult dinner, it's like, did you see what happened here? And then, you know, I also connect through pain. I mm. think that's just as who I am as a person. I'm attracted to pain. Uh, people do open up to me a lot. I've been in therapy for a long time. I think I'm a good listener when it comes to relationship stuff. So I, I will listen when I have friends who have relationship problems and I'm pretty open about mine. It's partly a joke writing exercise mixed with this is like actually things that you're thinking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I guess I just, it's like I look at it like a homework assignment. I get I get kind of excited mm. and I have such bad ADD and this is like the only place I can really focus is, is jokes, you know? Um, how do you think of it in terms of where it went in the set? How do you think of a set? I, I mix it up. Like, you know, the queen dies, I'll open with it. Like, why not? You know, let's talk, let's try it. Uh, <laughs> opening with queen jokes in Kentucky. That was a trip. Uh, but, you know. But even this joke in this in your hour, how did you think of where this needed to go? It goes about like four minutes in or so. I like to open with stuff that I think is like hard-hitting and tight. And I thought that was like a hard, punchy joke. And I also like to open with something that grabs your attention. So, you know, I think, and I got this, I opened with all that Me Too stuff because I thought it was kind of like, okay, let's see where this goes. Because I figured a lot of people discovered me on YouTube. Mm. Because of that algorithm, and and hopefully let's keep their attention. Yeah, these are punchy. These are good jokes. Let's see how long I can keep them. And then with this one, yeah, it's my first special on Netflix. So a lot of people are going to probably be like, "Let's give it a shot." And I open with that cop teacher joke, which I think is at the very least an attention grabber. It's good to be here. The world, terrible times we're living in. So you know. I'll tell you what's a bad job is cop. That's a tough job, right? You got all that power, but they don't pay you enough. You got a, a badge and a gun, but you make sometimes less than a teacher. Can you imagine risking getting shot every day and you only make a little bit more than a cop? That's just... The old... That's, you know... We call that the old switcheroo in showbiz. That's... And you're kind of like, okay, this sets the tone. This is kind of like, because, you know, he shits on cops out of the gate. The next joke, he shits on teachers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a fun way to bring people in. It's like, hey, we're gonna, it's going to be a fun hour. You know, it's going to be a fun special. You know, this special comes at a really interesting point where it, it's, it's one of my sort of favorite parts where a comedian now is like playing to fans, but is not exclusively playing to fans, right? It's, so it's like... And, I, and so I want to talk a little bit about how you sort of think about that differently. So the, I think the first question is, and I don't think you're at this point, but there is a thing that happens where a comedian who tells jokes about darker subjects or sensitive subjects 
builds a fan base of people who just like love that stuff. And I feel I like, don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I've met enough comedians who found themselves on their side of that, and they're like, "Oh no, I have the worst possible fans." Yeah, I don't want I don't want my uh, fan base to look like the midnight showing at a Times Square John Wick. You know what I mean? Like y- you want to be very cautious of that. And uh, how do you avoid that, or how do you think about that as you're now building an audience? I think I let them know that this is who I am, and uh, you know, and the jokes aren't exclusively me. There's that there's that Gustave Flaubert quote: "Be violent in your work so you can be ordinary in your life." And I think you know I want them to be like, know who you're coming to see. They're yeah. jokes. I love jokes. But I'm a normal person, and uh, I think that's a big part of it. I heard Doug Stanhope tell this story once where he saw these terrifying people online. He crossed the street, and then he found out they were waiting online to see him. They were his fans. And I was like, oh, man, that's uh, that's terrifying. Yeah, I, I I want a good mix of all kinds of people. Yeah. I'm very lucky. The people who see me, are, I hear it a lot from clubs. Your crowd's very well behaved. They uh, they drink, but they're not assholes. And, that's, and I'm like, hey, that's... That's kind of good. what you want. That's. I was wondering if it started to feel like, I don't know, there's something about how many people that I spotted in the crowd with backwards hats. I was like, is it now like an all backwards hat? My uh, crowd? Just wow, on the special, I, never, I think there was, wow. well, you comment about one guy who had a right, backwards hat. that's true. And then I think I saw another one. That's the only, I would have thought to look for that until you- That's hilarious. Point out backwards hat as a type of guy. Maybe that's TikTok. I don't know. Like, you know, I'm everywhere. So I didn't think of that even. That's funny you say that. (laughs) And I did make a joke about it. What's funny is that was a way longer scenario that we just, I just didn't want it to be crowd work heavy in the special. We cut so much from the special because we taped seven shows. Yeah, I was going to, that is a question I have, which is, I know you taped seven shows, but it's a 45 minute special. Yeah. Well, one thing is, you know, keep them wanting more. Second thing is the Netflix deal I got wasn't incredible. So I'm like, why am I giving them a full hour material? You know? Uh, second off, I do like the, I, I look at it as a, te- a teaser for the road. Mm. So to me, it's like get people out the road, get new fans. Uh, I cut a lot of stuff. So it's kind of like, well, I can self-release that stuff as like bonus crowd mm. work. I can start the new hour with some material. Um, I've also put out three specials in the last three years. I'm fucking tired, dude. Yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining. I just didn't know, like, do you, I mean, it's like caring about like the sanctity of an hour as an idea. Does I think it's a backwards idea. I think the attention span, I mean, they have all these, this data that shows that people zone out after like minute 15. So yeah. I'm kind of like, why am I given a full hour? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't think they realize how hard it is to write these jokes that you're pleased with. And I'll throw crowd work up to promote gigs all the time because it's really just, it's either that or like a picture. You know what I mean? So I'll do that. But when it comes to an actual special, I want to be really pleased with the whole thing. Um, you mentioned the the stuff you put out for prom, the crowd work stuff and the on Instagram. You're on all of them, the YouTubes, the Instagram Reels, the TikToks. I'm sure, I, I assume you've noticed there sort of two things have now happened. It's re- reached a critical mass of comedians complaining about people doing it and comedians sure. also doing it. Sure. As a person, I think, is one of the success stories of doing it. Do you, does any part of you be like, oh, I don't even know what the complaint is, but ultimately it's like, oh, you're putting up crowd work. Like, for example, in your special, uh, you have, the audience is talkative. Yeah. More so than like, especially at a special, they're like, there's the, the guy who's like, Michael Douglas or whatever. Well, it feels like a conversation when <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to them there. So I take it as like, you know, I'm flattered by it, honestly, because I'm like, oh, they feel like I'm just talking to them. So it can be annoying, but I do actually find that my crowd is weirdly well-behaved. That just happened because we did seven shows and we yeah. took fun moments. I mean, I was in Irvine all weekend. They wouldn't say shit. Like, you know, I mean, mm. it, my crowd is weirdly well-behaved. Uh, 
And I don't know what the critique is. I guess, you know, some people, I got critiqued a lot for posting caption clips at, uh, you know, I was one of the earlier comics doing mm -hmm. that and now everyone's doing that. So, you know, uh, if you have a problem with it, that's cool. I, I, I'm i trying to sell tickets. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who these purists are who are like, how dare you post crowd work? Well, I'm not just posting like, I don't slap the dick out of your... I'm not doing that shit. I'm yeah. doing... I'm Hopefully it's witty enough, you know? Uh, but yeah, I think... I have talked to comics who, who say I won't do it. I'm like, okay, that's your choice. That's mm. fine. When you know, speaking of this special beyond Netflix, you, you've you've talked about the the experience of shopping. I got this, which was the special that came out in early two thousand twenty, and you know, having a lot of people pass on it, and eventually it went on the Comedy Central's YouTube channel, and eleven million people have watched it since. But can you take me back to that moment, and can you imagine telling that person in like about two years you'll headline Beacon, like? <laughs> Well, it's it's very weird, yeah. It's uh, I I I felt the growth before that. Mm -hmm. I did, you know. You do feel it, like your first time, first place you really feel the growth. Even before I got this, was like, oh shit, I'm really selling a lot of tickets in like SF, Chicago, Boston, mm. certain DC. I was like, wow, I can sell a lot of tickets pre I got this, and then everyone passed, and I was pretty bummed and. Uh, I was like, yeah, I guess uh, it's funny. HBO passing, I was so heartbroken. Uh, and now I'm like, man, it would have not had nearly the success if it were on there. So uh, I'm grateful they passed. It's weird. Uh, I'm like, oh, man, thank God HBO. Thank God this is on YouTube. What a weird thing to say. But uh, you Yeah, never... Comedy Central's YouTube channel. Who would have thought? But, you know, uh, it was it was a tight special. It had a lot of jokes. It was at the right length, I think. It was like 47 or 48 minutes probably. Yeah. And, uh you know, it had a lot of things going for it. It came out February 2020, which was uh, a time a lot of people were home in the next few months. So it had a lot going for it for me. It's probably my best special. I mean, it's the most time. I, it was the hungriest I was. Mm. Now I have too much shit going on. Uh, I'm so, burnt out. So you feel like this is worse. This was... Was it because this special was done because you needed to put on another special? So it's, it's no, I like this one, but it's a shorter special. I think the White Knight story is like a better closer. They start walking away. As they walk away, there's a guy behind me in a white sweatshirt, matching white sweatpants, very underdressed for Cleveland in February. Okay, <laughs> he's not quite sitting, he's not quite standing, he's almost perched. And as they walk away, he loudly says, "I wasn't going to let anything happen to you." Who are you? <laughs> he walks over and he goes, I police this part of town. I said, you're a policeman? He's not. This man is obviously not with law enforcement of any kind. So I asked, do you work for the bar? He said, no. And I said, are you a vigilante of some sort? And he said, yeah. And he's in white. So I said, what's your superhero name? The Snowflake? And he said, I go by the White Knight. And I'm just drunk enough to be like, hell yeah. That was just a really good bit that I just sat on for a while. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's probably my best just in terms of like, I like the pace of the new one better. I'm a, I'm a better comic now. I think that material was probably running the ground a little more. I had a little more time to work on it. But I'm, I'm going to start a theater tour in early January and I, need to, start, I yeah. need to start working on the new hour. So I figured I would burn this and have, try to have new stuff for that theater tour. But 
in early 2020, do you think like I'll be a theater no, act? <laughs> I don't. I was literally. I never. I've never thought that far ahead in my life. I, yeah. I really was trying to be just like, how can I keep moving forward? It was ne- there was never a goal of like I'll be a theater guy. I I just want to be a good comic that has the respect of his peers and makes a good living. That's really it. I I don't think of it past that. Yeah. And I guess when I put I got this out, I I knew I had a good special, but like you don't know how well it's going to do. Yeah. So I was pretty nervous by it. And man, did the community kind of push it for me, which really, holy shit, uh, that really helped. So You said once there's a difference between entertaining and connection with the audience. Yeah. What, what does that look like for you? Well, I think connections are those little points, like what you said with that Snow White joke. Where I said, I'm not saying it's okay. That's a connection, but that's mm. not funny. Yeah. But that's some, occasionally you need a little bit of that to show them you're a person as well. Uh, you, you, when you connect with someone, I was hanging with a comic the other day. He couldn't turn it off. He mm. couldn't not stop making jokes around me. And it was like, there was a, it, there was a room of people and he couldn't stop doing jokes. And that's not connecting with people. Yeah. That's being funny. But that's what I've said, where it's like, you need to detach a little bit to be funny. Connecting with someone is not just making jokes. You're almost pushing them away with the mm. jokes. So that's, that's the one, line you have to walk. Yeah, so your goal is to figure out how to do both. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. The documentary you made captured, I think, a thing that I think will be forgotten, which is specifically how bad audiences were. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> right? we were bad, too. Yeah, but I think people probably assumed comedians would be rusty. And yeah. I, But there, I bring this up because the story, you know, last year I did a, lot, a big story about comedians after 9-11. And they talked about they came back and the audiences were like at a 10 and they're laughing huge at everything. And then you, in your documentary, it's like, Weeks and weeks of people like this, no audience can even like get above a two. It was a tough, it was a tough (laughs) combination of like, yeah, they were bad. They were rusty. They hadn't been in social scenarios for a while. We were bad. We weren't working on our shit. They were separated. There were weird things up in the room. It was just, it was a recipe for disaster. That was a tough thing to go through. Um, I mean, the whole year for everybody, but I mean, just as comics, it's such a part of I mean, I still don't know if we know the extent of the mental health damage we all went through for that. I mean, that, I mean, because you go through mental health stuff without this being your profession, yeah, yeah. but when your profession is literally at its best, low ceilings, people on top of each other, it's part of your ritual. It's part of how you see your friends. I mean, it was, that was really tough. Yeah, your your mom is Marilyn Greenberg, a yeah. painter. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, she does large abstract canvases. Uh, they're kind of like the artist Hilma Klimt. They're sort of compositions of colorful geometric shapes. There's a lot of circles. Um, I want to ask you about – I'm always interested when people are children of artists. And and what uh, what does she teach you about living an artist's life? <sighs> That's a good question. I think my mom – I don't think I'm the type of comic she wanted me to be. I think my mom wishes I was like uh, – she's supportive, and I, I don't think she like is like, you know – but I think a lot of my jokes really bother her. Um, so uh, I almost want to call this next tour the jokes that upset my mother tour. Mm-hmm. But uh, she didn't – that upset her. Uh, no, she uh, – I think she was like, why couldn't you – I think she wanted like a humorist, <laughs> you know? Uh you do your best as a parent to raise a kid with the values that you mm-hmm. hope them to have. And I, I do my best, but you know, ultimately you are who you are. And I do think, you know, the road lifestyle beats some of that out of you and you just become 
you become a combination of a lot of things. And I don't know if that's a combination she's always comfortable mm-hmm. with, but I think she does her best to be supportive. It's, it's interesting because it's like I was trying to, as an uh, exercise, think about how your work is similar to hers. <laughs> and in some ways, it's You put like, so much more thought as an interviewer into like any other podcast, by the way. Every other podcast is like, so what else? I'm like, that's the whole hour? All right. That's, you know, that's that's what people come here for. Um, but it's like you both are there's something about geometric shapes that I was thinking about. Like, well, they're, oh. they're both forms, right? You're both explore forms. Interesting. Like if you think of your act literally in the subject you're talking about, I imagine would your mom be like, I'd rather you just say quips. About- <laughs> my mom's like, this is my Prince Andrew painting. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. But I think you both, you know, yeah. she's doing things that are shapes and like ultimately her version of it, it could be there's big swaths of color and it could be violent or whatever but it's like it's formal and your work is formal in a way i guess i'm trying to think of like you said you're not an artist you're an entertainer and do you think that is because you grew up with an artist that you feel possibly that you feel like well what you're doing isn't or can you reconcile what you did with like oh there's something similar there's probably some similarities i mean i just i it's hard sometimes i feel like we're artists and other times i'm like i'm here to move cocktails (laughs) you know like i so I kind of go back and forth with it. Um, I think I said to Letterman when I did his show, he said, you're artists. And I was like, no. I think I said, w- w- you don't, it was something about uh, how uh, we ask people a number one or number two when they get up to the bathroom, like we're not artists, whatever. But uh, yeah, I guess I find the term artist to be a little pretentious. And I think stand up is like, mm-hmm. It's like the enemy of comedy is arrogance. Yeah. We're the people that make fun of that. So I do think, I try to think of myself as an entertainer. I didn't get into this because I was like, I'm an artist. You know, I got into this because I was like, I want to be funny. I want to make people laugh. So, With a special, how have you gotten better? And then beyond it, how do you feel like you need to get better? Jeez. I mean, I I think I've gotten better. I think my pacing is more confident. I don't think I really, I know it's going to work. It's just kind of like, Here's this is the show, so I think I'm I've slowed down a little bit. People have told me I go too quickly sometimes. Sometimes joke people do that. Um, but it's also that 15 minute New York set where you go quickly. But I feel comfortable uh, with the type of comedy I'm doing. I, I, how to grow? I, I don't know. I think uh, it's just like you, you kind of see which way you grow. I mm. I don't know if I can plan on what to grow on uh stories are definitely a fun way to fill an hour but i don't know if that's the way i'm going so knowing which way to grow (laughs) most of the ways i need to grow as a human more than comic i think i'm already giving too much of this shit (laughs) you know and you're large enough you can now figure out how to be a person i i I am more comic than per it's funny it's like i i don't need a drink to go on stage i do need to drink to be around people (laughs) I am more comic than person at this point. I feel like balancing work and personal life counts as a thing where an artist can grow at being better at. I I think that <laughs> might be it for me. That's right, the big one. That counts. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for the final segment of our show. It's called the Laughing Round. Uh, it's like a lightning round because this is a comedy podcast. It's called the Laughing Round. Uh, do you have a favorite joke? Joke like a street joke? Jeez. My favorite joke ever is probably David Tell's joke where he goes, you remember when you're young and you think your dad is Superman, then then you grow up and you realize he's just a drunk who was wearing a cape. 
<laughs> that's like a brilliant that's a one-liner and yeah. it's and it says so much in such a simple like that's about disappointment that's about you know growing up it's such a excellent joke i love that one well maybe that'll fit also to the other category the next question is a joke you wish you could see all joke that you saw another comedian can do and you were like oh i wish i had that i joke. love that one i mean on if if we're doing one joke or like a bit yeah. a bit Jo- I mean, joke meaning a whole. I mean, Jim Jeffries' gun joke. I'm so jealous of that one. It's a, it's like a 15 minute masterful chunk on guns. I I think it's incredible. Tan France, uh-huh. he dressed you for the special. What ha- well, what happened? <laughs> uh, I know him a little bit. Uh, I actually met him. He was doing the Tonight Show. I was with Taylor when she was doing a set on Fallon, and and he goes to me he goes i really like your stuff and i was like oh thanks I, all right uh i was like i mean i like i like queer eye it's a good sure. show so we just became friendly after that and uh he's friends with a few comic friends of mine ryan hamilton mm. rachel feinstein and uh so yeah we, I'll, sometimes i'll ask i'll ask rachel i'll be like is this outfit like i don't like loud outfits is this outfit okay for a special and she's like you know tan france why are you asking me i was like all right so i said i was like what do i wear in a special that's like me and he he was like wear this you bought all those clothes or did you I have bought some- a shirt. He goes, this color shirt, get this jacket and get uh, and wear dark shoes with it. And I showed him and he's like, yeah, that works. And I was like, all right. He's, he's the coolest. Um, do you have a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian living or dead that you'd be uh, comfortable sharing with us? A short story. Huh. I guess it could be a long story. But- <laughs> <laughs> a short story of a comedian living or dead. Uh, some sort of interaction. Brian Regan came to my show on Friday. That was pretty cool. He's a legend. Uh, so we we were hanging uh, in the green room uh, after the show, and a comic friend of mine could not turn it off. Like he was incapable of turning it off in the green room and basically walked Brian Regan. <laughs> that was tough because he was making me laugh. That's yeah. the hard thing is I was like, I acknowledge this is hilarious. But Brian just kind of wanted like a chill hang, I could tell. And he didn't say we're, we're calling it a night. He goes, do you guys know a good bar around here? And I was like, Jesus Christ, you walked Regan, dude. <laughs> so that was tough because I obviously love him. And uh, he's such a nice guy as well as being a, a great. So, um, Do you have advice for an up-and-coming comedy maker? Just, uh, you know, write, write, write. Surround yourself with friends who are who are hungry and disciplined and, and good people and uh, – Hard to find all three, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just give it everything, man. Like give it, give it what you can give it, and uh, try to make stuff that that is true to you, but also that you would want to see. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big. I think that when I post clips, sometimes I'm like, what would I share with a friend? Mm-hmm. You know. So, um, and last one, do you have a, a joke that you think is really funny? that never worked you've tried it a million times and you'll go to your grave being like i was right the audience is wrong but this- i don't think i was right <laughs> uh, but i'll tell you jokes sure. that i think are funny that never worked let me th- let me see um yeah i had one that i thought was really funny and it's just not that funny but i think it's funny but uh i have a joke about it. so my dad legally adopted me as a term like not an orphanage my mom raised me and then she married my dad and uh you know legally adopted me and when he did that you need to get the biological father's signature. Mm-hmm. So I said, it's kind of like the opposite of a UPS package. He's like, here's my signature, and uh, I don't want this. Never worked, ever. Because it's too sad? Probably. <laughs> I think my therapist, I brought this up in therapy once. He goes, when an audience goes, oh, they're not, that's not a bad thing. Like, they're connected to you. I was like, what's well, a bad thing for a comedian? Because I'm going like for a laugh. It's a weird way. To, it's a weird structure joke to end in an awe. 
You could just say the sentence if you wanted and say, ah. I think it's funny, but it never worked. I think it's funny. It's it's like a you feel funny. You feel a funniest thing happen, but you don't laugh at it. Yeah. I. It's tough. Certain jokes like that, they just, it, it, it might be too kind of like clever for the gravity of it. Yeah. Yeah. For so them, then, I mean, yeah, for, so, to me, it's funny. So it doesn't hit them in a way for them to go laugh. They go like, oh, yeah, I guess so. It's tough. Even one that I love would not always hit. This is the one I really liked about my biological dad. Is like, first time I met him, he was petting a cat. And, uh, and I was like, what's up with the cat? He goes, I rescued her from the side of the road and, and nursed her back to health. And I was like, so you did have it in you. So that one I really liked. That one would hit more consistently. But even then, it, it would bomb. Because yeah. they go, oh, and I'd be like, no, I'm delivering this to you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. I'm telling it, so you should trust that it's okay. But uh, it was it was a weird one. Um, and that's it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can watch Same Time Tomorrow on Netflix. Follow Sam on social media at Sam Morell. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Gad Mashukachin did our theme song. Write a view and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We're here every other Thursday. Have a good one. Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes. Mm, son. Hey, 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 good one. It's a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, (laughs) but they choose to do it. In the new docuseries, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.